Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to subscribe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Carrie. Hey, everybody. Good evening-ish. Um, Carrie, compulsive overeater. Hi, Carrie. It really feel like an evening because it's like 900 degrees, but the word is it, it's evening. Um, I'm going to take that off just so I don't make noise. Um, so the stuff I always forget to say, um, I've been in OA for 14-ish years come July, so 14 and some change, and um, I've been abstinent since July 15th, uh, 13 years ago, so 13 and a smidge of months. Um, And just to be clear off the top, that is not because of me. I have not gotten the abstinence. I can no more stop myself being insane with food today than I could 14 years ago when I walked into these doors. Um, Not literally that door, it was another door. Um, And that's uh, that that's why I'm here tonight. Incidentally, I spoke last night, and someone who heard me speak last night is here tonight, so I feel like I have to have a totally new story tonight. <laughs> so it'll all be different. You'll never have heard this before from me. Anyway, um, so that's, there's something about that that I need to remind myself of, that I'm here because I can't control food. I have a totally sane, very sensible plan of eating, and um, I can't follow it. Only a higher power can follow it with me. That's it. So, you know, I can have a a very sane plan of action, which is our exciting new tool that I know very little about, um, but it doesn't matter because I can't do it. I can't make it happen. I can't make anything happen. And that's... um, That's the crux of this disease for me, that uh, all my great intentions, my very sturdy reasons, and my completely ridiculous reasons for wanting to control my food, all of those reasons are not, um, they don't matter. They matter nothing. They won't stop me from the food. Um, My brain does not function normally when it comes to food. And then how I've tried to cope with that fact throughout my life has changed. Um, I was a compulsive dieter for a selection of years, like, I don't know, from what's fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, somewhere in there up till I came in at 27. Actually, we'll say 28 because my first year in OA, I was just on a, a new exciting diet with all you people. Um, so that, you know, I was on a diet for... 15 years, my math is terrible, 17, however many years that is, that's how long I was on a diet. Um, I never got off that diet. Uh, I never felt like I was done. I never felt like I was at the correct weight. I never felt like I got to that point where my body was okay and acceptable and um, I could be off the diet. I never got there. Um, I had slips, I had binges, but they were always um, mistakes and reason to hate myself. They were always my failure. It was never a choice. Um, You know, another way I tried to cope with the brokenness of my brain was reading a bunch of different books about this, about food and diets and the disease and health and emotional this and that, 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 and, you know, all that stuff. Um, You know, all of that stuff, again, super interesting information, did not stop me from eating food 
whether I wanted to or not. Um, and then I also became a compulsive exerciser um, because I wanted to appear to have a normal body, and that seemed like a socially acceptable way to go about that process. Like, I had seen the after-school specials, so I knew that you weren't supposed to be puking. <laughs> and so I was like, well, I tried that. If it had worked, I wouldn't have cared about those after-school specials. I just would have kept right on doing it. But my body doesn't do that very easily. It just won't. I mean, I'll have food poisoning, and I'm like, I'd love to throw up right now, but it's just not going to happen. Um, but I, I, that didn't work. That thing didn't work for me. Um, I didn't try diet pills or other diet clubs because um, I think probably because I was very stubborn, and I, I believed that I, would get, I was going to solve this problem myself. I didn't need those other things. I could handle this myself. I'd read books because, you know, nobody knew I was reading the book, but you were not going to catch me, like, at some meeting where people were going to, you know, have an opinion about my life. Um, and, you know, thank God this program is just all the suggestion because I do not necessarily take direction very well. You know, some, in some things I do. In some things I'm a very, very good listener, a very good follower, a very good, you know, student, whatever. But um, about things that, specifically about this, I feel like some part of me had a wisdom that, that I couldn't hear other people say, well, just don't do it, or just eat this, or just, like, some part of me knew that that wasn't my truth. Like, I find I get stubborn when, and this is a defect, A, but it's also, it can be a character asset, because there are times when I get stubborn when I'm like, I know I'm hearing this, but it's not my truth. And some part of me knew that it wasn't going to work that the newest diet, the newest whatever, wasn't going to work because I knew I was different with food. Um, I knew that I didn't think of food normally. I knew that my... I feel like I wouldn't have had to hide how I was with food if I hadn't known something was wrong. I feel like normal people don't hide. Like, they just act normally. But some part of me knew that what I was doing was abnormal and needed to be hidden. Um because I couldn't expose what I was doing, you know, for fear of ridicule, for, uh, for fear of people having opinions about what I should do and having to go through that process of, you know, having to defend the fact that I couldn't change. You know, thank God for this program because there's another option now. You know, I don't have to be somewhere else, like, listening to some other version of what might work. You know, I actually can have something that works here. Um, and, again, that is why I come back. Um, it is a Saturday night. It is lovely weather. I have a date later. And uh, I could be, you know, doing something to get ready for that. But instead, I'm here because I want to be sane on that date. We're going out to dinner. I'm going to eat in front of a man. Um, <laughs> let that be all the information you need, you know. So, like, I have to be able to... You know, A, and I'm, I'm technically supposed to be on a date with this man, and the point of dating is to get to know someone, and pre-OA, I would have been getting to know how much food I can get away with eating in front of you, and getting to know all these different dishes that I have ordered. Like, that's what I would have been getting to know before, not what you're talking about. I would not have cared what you were talking about. I maybe would have argued about what you were talking about, you know, <laughs> but uh, I wouldn't have really cared. Um, and, you know, today, it's like, because of OA, I get to meet a human being, and actually listen, even though there's food in front of me. You know, the food won't be the point of this evening. That's amazing. That is definitely a miracle. Um, so that's part of, 
you know, that's one of the unexpected gifts of this program, that I get to listen. It's like all that, you know, food was crammed into my ears, not just my mouth, and I couldn't hear anything. And, you know, it was crammed into my brain so that I couldn't react accurately to things. Um, I used to feel like I had to fix people and situations, and I don't feel that way by and large anymore. I am human. Um, and I, I feel like... I get to learn to be a loving witness. I don't have to. I don't have to solve anyone else's problems. They have their own higher power. You know, I just get to say in this program as a sponsor, as a human, as a fellow, I just get to say this is something that I've done and it worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it totally won't work for you. You know, do whatever you feel like. You know, and that um, that's a huge gift of this program. Um, you know, because this is a podcast, um, I get to be in a normal body. Like, I get to have a body that appears to be not the body of someone with an eating disorder, um, and that's amazing. You know, I get to, um, you know, I, it turns out, like, in a way, I've discovered things I like. I really love clothes, and I really love shapes. It's kind of like this art thing that you get to put on every day. It's like a different moving art project, and I love that. And, um, you know, I... I I had, like, I tried to do that when I hated my body, but it's tricky, like, it's tricky to have fun clothes when they all are, like, men's extra-large overalls, you know? I had every color of men's extra-large overalls, like, every sack dress a person could own, I have owned it. (laughs) Very fun colors of sack dress. Um, You know, every sneaker possible, like, whatever. And and what I get in a way is that I, I don't have shame about my body anymore. I accept my body as it is. I love my body as it is. And um, and I accept, I have humility about it. It's, it's a gift and it's a loner and I'll, I get to take care of it until it's no longer mine to keep. And it's going to do what it's going to do. You know, it's going to keep getting older and things will break and that's what I hear or that's what I've experienced. Um, and that's, that's also a gift of this program, that it doesn't, now my body doesn't have to be, I'm not chasing, I'm not willing to destroy my body to try to make my body look a certain way. Now it's like, how do I protect this physical form I've been given for as long as possible? Um, and that's a gift of this program. Um, you know, I, uh, food is a drug for me. It's a very effective drug. And, um, the reason that this is my drug of choice, I don't know. I can't, I can't say that I chose this drug above all other drugs. I just know that when I take this drug in, it makes me feel the way I want to feel. And no matter what I'm feeling, this is going to make me feel more like, anyway, what I want to feel. And if I consume enough of it, then either it'll get me to that sweet spot of where I want to feel, which is usually nothing, or it'll knock me out. Like, this drug will knock me out. If I consume enough food, I will need to go sleepy night-night. Like, bye bye thanks, <laughs> you know. And that, you know, there you go. There's a drug thing. And it's hard to see this as a drug because everybody consumes it and because it's very socially acceptable. And it's easy to think, you know, it's like the exercise. I was a compulsive exercising. I was not (coughs) exercising in a normal, sane, and healthy way. I was exercising to try to control my body, to try to change my physical form, to try to um, hide what I was doing with food. That's not why I understand normal people exercise, you know. Um, Maybe they like it. Uh, Or, you know, it makes them feel good or whatever. Now I get to have that experience, but I didn't for many, many years. And... 
you know, being in here, I get to appear normal. I get to physically appear normal, but I also get to have a normal emotional life, and I get to, you know, have this normal connection with something greater than me. I don't have to run the entire universe anymore. Um, you know, but I, and more importantly, I don't have to be high all the time. That's pretty impressive. Like, and when you've been high for as long as you can remember, I didn't, I couldn't have told you what life was like not high. When I got abstinent here and I started to be able to not eat all the time, um, then I got to learn what normal people felt like. You know, I got to learn what an emotional life was. I got to learn how it was to be in the world that everyone else was living in. Because I didn't know what it was like to live in that world. Because I had just been high, like, pretty much since birth. Like, I had been high. Um, You know, it's like crack babies. Like, you know, we're all like, oh, no, that baby's a crack baby. It came into the world, you know, addicted to this substance. And it doesn't know what it's like to not have that substance. It's like I was that crack baby. It's just my drug was legal. And it's... It's strange to learn as an adult when you're physically an adult and you're mentally kind of an adult, like to learn what it's like to be in this world and go through what babies go through, but you're in a full-grown form. Like that's an interesting part about being in recovery that I, I get to go through, you know, the experience of learning from scratch, even though I've been on this planet for, you know, way longer than than it would, you know, than my emotional life believes it has. I get to learn, like, oh, if I do A and B, then it causes pain, and maybe I don't want to do it again. I get to learn, which I did not get to do when I was high all the time because I didn't feel pain. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel joy. So it's like, how do I, I felt some joy, but how do I know what I really love, what I really care about, what really moves me? How do I know that if I'm high all the time? I don't. It's under the screen. It's under this gauze. I don't get to know what life is actually about. And the result is that I waste a lot of years doing things that I don't care about. You know, that's part of this disease, too, that I have, you know, a lot of time that I've spent doing things that weren't like what moves me because I was so busy being high. And, you know, being high was the best I could do. It was, it was the only way I knew. It was the only way I knew how to cope with existence. Um, existence is complicated. It has darkness in it. It has, you know, there's a lot here on this planet. And it can be hard to exist. And it is also an amazing gift to be able to exist. exist. There's a lot of beauty in this world if I have the chance to see it. And, you know, being abstinent allows me to actually see that, to actually feel that, to actually you know, have some chance of doing something. And that that is a huge thing that I learned from, you know, from being abstinent. Like, I I don't get a fairy tale here necessarily. Maybe I get a fairy tale. Maybe. But it's not guaranteed. The 12th step says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, the result of these steps. It's not like having had a spiritual awakening and won the lotto as the result of these steps, you know. And... What that gives me, what this spiritual awakening gives me, is my best shot on this planet. Like, it's my best opportunity to be my fullest self, to be of the most service on this planet, to rise to my full height. Like, that's what I want. That's my prayer, to try to be the most of whatever some higher power put me here for. That's my goal. So this program helps me to do that by 
allowing me to learn, by allowing me to be real, by allowing me to empathize. I couldn't really empathize before because I was high. I was high. How much do you empathize when you're high? You know what I mean? Like everything is kind of interesting, but it's not, you know, it's not like I'm not moved by the world. Now I'm one of those candy I won't cuss. Well, I'm one of those people who, um, you know, listens to the sad commercial, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I watch the little, little video on whatever video thing is on, and I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm one of those people now. I was not one of those people. People who cried were fascinating to me, like lepers. Like, <laughs> I'm like, it's very interesting that you have this disease that makes water fall from your face, um, you know? And now, like, I'm one of those people who has water that falls from my face, and, you know, I, I get to, like, wear waterproof mascara. And so that it doesn't, you know, have to change, <laughs> whatever. Um, like, that's something that, again, I didn't, I didn't want when I came in here. When I came in here, I wanted to be skinny. Just make me skinny. I just want to be skinny. I just want to be skinny. And the deeper thing is I just want to be acceptable. I just want to be okay. I want to be not hideous is the real underlying truth of that. I want to be not hideous. I want to be not an eyesore to everyone on the planet. Um... That's dark. Like, to hate yourself that much that you're, like, you're un- your form, your existence, this body you were given that's evolved over millennia is unacceptable. I know better than God. I'm going to tell God what form I should be in. And, honey, it ain't this one. So there's a humility to it, too, like accepting that, you know, I'm a person. I'm just a person. And, you know, I'm, I am one of many. And it's good. It's good. It's good to be one of many. Um, That's something I didn't know before. And that's something I still get to keep learning. Like, I get to be one of many. I don't have to do everything. I can breathe. I can relax. I can take time off. I can rest. Um, That's a huge part of recovery. I can meditate. Because trust me, like, meditation occupies time. And, you know, it's like, all right, God has it. Can you just give give it back? Give it back. It's okay. Hand it back to God. Um... And that, you know, like stopping, calming, like breathing, allowing, those things are all new information for me in recovery. Um, That I am inherently enough is new information to me in recovery. Um, How that happens. How that happens. Let me check the clock. Oh, good. I love questions. Think of questions. Um, I love questions because that way everything I forgot to say, people just get to ask me and I don't have to worry about it. Um, And that's, again, it's like the joy of the fellowship. I don't have to remember everything because you know what? There are millions of us who are working this program. So if I'm talking and you're like, what in the hate is the little of that fool talking about? You can go listen to somebody else who actually makes sense. Um, You know, that's like the joy of recovery. Uh, So, you know, what happened was that um, I got desperate enough. I wasn't really desperate I wasn't really desperate. I was probably, you know, my top weight is probably 50 pounds heavier than I am now. Um, It was lower than that because I had been, you know, compulsively exercising and I had been on a diet. So I was, I had some control of, I had control of how much I could exercise to some extent over, you know, lessening over time, but I had some control and I still had some control of what I could eat, though not how much I could eat. Um, and that had kept some of my my eating from showing up on my physical form. Um, so when I came in here, I was probably, it's hard to say, probably 10, 15 pounds heavier than I am now. So I could pass for normal, more or less. Um, 
and, until you talk to me. And then I was clearly out of my bleeding mind. But until you talk to me, I'm sure I seem sane. And, you know, with that, like, as much as I'm joking, like, that I seem crazy, I don't know how crazy I seemed because when you're talking about food, I was clearly insane. But the rest of my life, like, I was successful. I had, I had done well in school. I had friends. Um, life was going well. I had fairly good relationships with most people. Um, it appeared like... You know, I had, like, I had this life going pretty well. It appeared like that. I wasn't homeless. I didn't have, you know, it seemed like I had it kind of figured out-ish. Um, and then I, I came in here, and because I somehow heard about OA, and um, I had heard that it was free, and that was appealing, and uh, I came in to my first meeting, and... Um, it was in, like, this kind of bizarre room with all kinds of sofas that maybe had lice. <laughs> I don't know. And it was, it was fascinating. I think that's honestly why I came back, because it was fascinating. Um, I didn't get it at all. It was people, like, we use so much lingo. There's so much, like, steps and traditions and this and that. Like, I didn't know what anybody was talking about, but I have, a, I have a weakness for lingo. I love a good lingo. So I was like, I will stay and learn this secret language. Like, show me, you know, show me the secret language. <laughs> Give me the key to the secret language. And then there were these 12 steps, and there was a workbook, and I'm a good student, so I was like, I will fill out your workbook. I will graduate with an A from this program, you know. And I was waiting for you all to give me, like, the diet and tell me what to eat. And I, you know, so I, I came, and I came back because I was curious, and I was new in town. And I didn't really know many people. And, you know, it was very weird. It was very weird. So if anyone here is newish and they're feeling like this is freaking weird, like, okay, it's fine if you think it's weird. Um, but somehow I had the willingness to come back over and over and over and over again, even though it was really weird. And I started to be able to hear people talking about food in a way that made sense to me. And other people in my life hadn't done that, you know. They talked about, like... I don't know, I just got underneath of what they were talking about. Like, when they said they were getting crazy with food, it didn't quite look like my getting crazy with food. Like, it was, you know, it was much more ladylike and demure than what I was doing with food alone, like a wolverine, you know, attacking things with things like flying down my face. Um, I didn't get the feeling they were doing that. So, you know, I came in here and I started listening and I started getting, like, maybe these people know what I'm talking about. Maybe these people know my secret and that was very powerful to know that um, that somehow in the world someone else got it that somehow in the world someone else uh, ate when they weren't hungry or couldn't stop eating when they were full or ate things that had gone bad or ate things that tasted disgusting or you know needed to go shopping for hours at a time and buy tons of food and just have it around, you know, having tons of... If there had been an earthquake, I would have been... Everyone in the world could have come to my house. We would have been fine. Um, you know, and that was... There's a feeling... I don't think I could have identified it as a feeling of safety or feeling like I was at home because I was still so high. But somewhere underneath it, it felt right. And I just kept coming back. And I, you know, I was... I was okay with talking in front of people, and so I just kept raising my hand when they called on people, and I would just talk. And um, 
I didn't have any recovery. I just talked about what was happening, and I just talked about what I was doing with food, and I talked about my newest non-OA plan of how I was going to manage the food this time, and it was totally going to work. And, you know, these people lovingly listened to me over and over and over within the safety of that three-minute time. And, um, you know, afterwards, after the meeting, there was no crosstalk. They didn't come up to me and tell me how to fix it or tell me what to do. If anything, they just talked about what they had done. And that that gave me the, I wouldn't say it gave me the courage to keep coming back, but it took away my excuses for leaving, you know. Um, the whole God thing was weird, very weird, very weird. Um and I didn't understand it, but somehow, I mean, I'd been raised within a religion, so maybe I was just kind of like, oh, this is the part that I ignore when they start talking about God. Like, I'm used to doing that, you know. <laughs> I used to do that every weekend as a child. Um, so I guess like, somehow or other I had the willingness to just not hear what was irritating to me, you know, and um, to somehow ignore the fact that this is a spiritual program which was awesome. I'm glad that I could ignore it because I would have left if I had really understood that. Um, so if anyone's listening to this, it's not a spiritual program. It's totally not a spirit. Don't worry. It's just about food. Um, and, uh, you know, somehow or other, it started to sink in. The first step was working me, even though I wasn't working it. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't pretend my insanity was sane anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't keep the lies that had coded me. I couldn't keep them around me anymore. This program was like lie acid, and it was eating off the lies. That's a weird metaphor. <laughs> Whatever. Um, <laughs> so, like, little by little, I was becoming exposed. I was becoming, um, I was becoming desperate. I was starting to see clearly what had happened. Thank you. Um, oh, good. It's question time. Um, so, Somehow or other, like, that that gave me the willingness, like, in the process of seeing my disease truly and clearly as it was, which was something I couldn't stop. In that process, I became willing to go to any lengths, which is our steps negative one and zero. If you have decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get them, then you're ready to take certain steps. So at that point, I became willing to take certain steps. And, um, you know, I am a binger to my core, and uh, that's my natural mode of being, or it has been up to this point. And um, I, that's how I work the steps. Like, I would work them, you know, I would work them a lot, and then I wouldn't work them. But the amazing thing was, fairly early on, I was desperate enough that I had the willingness to call my sponsor almost every day. And God bless this man. This man talked to my self for like an hour every day reading the big book and saying to me this is what I did this is what these drunks did this is what they did do you understand this can we look it up in a dictionary so you understand it what do you think what do you feel and in doing that just in talking about it and in reading the big book paragraph by paragraph my resistance was breaking down because that it, the book is, I find, it's this blue book called, that says Alcoholics Anonymous on the cover. And my sponsor had me read it where it said he, I was supposed to say she, and where it said alcohol, I was supposed to say food or some other food behavior. And in doing that, I got that this wasn't just a fascinating read about some drunks from the 30s. It was actually my brain. Like someone had written down my brain word for word, which is kind of creepy. And in doing it, like I'd be, I'd read a section, I'm like, but, and then like the next part of the book was, Answer, the answer to my but, you know, that's kind of remarkable. 
And in that process, I got to see, you know, the crux of the disease, which for me is strange mental blank spots, that in that moment, my brain should protect me from damage, from harm. It doesn't. It fails. My brain breaks in that moment, and I am not protected from my own worst self-interest. I go straight into the fire. And once I read about that in the big book, I was like, oh, that's me. Like, I have that. I have that. I have that. I've had that. I've had that. <laughs> you know? And that's a very shocking revelation that it doesn't matter how much I know, I will forget at the moment I need, I need my brain to keep me alive. My brain will not keep me alive. It won't. Oh, someone's there with a gun in the middle of the street. I know. I'm going to walk right towards the gun. They pulled the trigger. I know. I'm going to stand in front of the bullet speeding towards me. That's what my brain does when it comes to food. And I had to get that in here. I had to become really willing to use a plan of eating and fight, fight, fight to use that plan of eating and fail, fail, fail to use that plan of eating. That's when I got that I was powerless. That's when I got it's like... My best effort gets me nothing. And that's when I got desperate enough and willing enough that I was willing to work the rest of the steps. And from working the rest of the steps, the steps kept working me when I wasn't willing to work them. And inevitably, I would get so whatever the step was supposed to do to me. Like, it would work on me so much that I was like, fine, I'll just work this up. Like, <laughs> you know. And I, and I went through that first chunk very, very, very slowly. I was in here for a year before I got abstinent. And I'm very grateful for all that failure because that failure is why I'm here today and I haven't gone out there and like, oh, I'm totally normal. No, I'm totally normal. I'm totally normal. Like, I have no, my body is totally normal. Awesome. My brain is still not totally normal. I seem to be totally normal, but if I'm away from meetings too long, it will become clear to me that I am really, really not totally normal. And that, that's a gift, you know, because it keeps me coming back like, Anytime I'm having trouble getting to meetings, my higher power is awesome. My higher power is like, hey, maybe you should go speak at this meeting. Or some fellow will be like, hey, why don't you meet me at a meeting? Or like the universe keeps providing, you know, reasons for me to show up in a place that will help me. Um, and that's an amazing gift. Like I would not have seen that before. I wouldn't have accepted that before, even though it happens over and over and over and over. I wouldn't have, and even in the beginning when I started getting abstinent, I didn't credit this program. Like, what? I've tried everything with food for my entire life, and I come to this program and I start doing something differently. But instead of like a sane person would do, which is like credit the thing you changed in your life as being the reason things are getting better. No, no. I took the credit for myself. I was like, oh, I probably don't really have a problem with food. You know, insanity. And in learning that, like, I get to see, oh, okay, my disease always wants me to think I don't have a disease. That's the trick of it. So... You know, I get to keep coming back to be reminded of the fact that I'm cuckoo pants. Like, every time I come back, I'm reminded, I'm reminded, I'm reminded, I'm reminded. And that, then I get to keep taking my medicine, my daily reprieve medicine, so that I get to keep being sane one day at a time. And if I choose not to be in OA, right on. I can go out anytime I want. But I keep choosing to come back because it keeps working. I don't crave food that I don't need anymore 99.9% .9 of the time. I eat sanely now. That was not my reality before OA. That's my reality now. Like, I don't have to struggle to be sane with food anymore. It's easy most of the time, as long as I maintain my spiritual fitness, which is coming to these meetings, working the steps, like doing the pretty simple stuff that I have the option of doing and being honest. Like, as long as I do that, it's pretty darn easy. And 
you know, for that I am incredibly grateful. For this program I am incredibly grateful. That I'm not alone in a room with no solution, I'm incredibly grateful. So everyone who came here tonight, thank you for allowing me to be abstinent one more day. Makes me want to cry because I'm one of those people who cries now. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing not to have to suffer alone. It's amazing to have an option of happiness and sanity, and that's what every person who took time out of their Saturday night to come here and get better. That's a gift that I thank you for giving me, whether you meant to give it to me or not. Thank you so much for letting me share. So now, if anybody has questions, yes. How do I practice my spiritual program? Um, um, very, very, very badly. <laughs> um, very, very haphazardly sometimes. Like in the beginning, uh, it was very kind of regimented and methodical. Every step I had worked, I said that step every day. And up until, you know, and the prayers or whatever went with it, I did that as well. Um, now I tend to do that before I speak, just to remind me of why I'm here and what I'm doing. Um, but it's, it changes. It varies. Like sometimes I don't want to sit down and meditate. I don't, like, that's, you know, someone kill me. Like, I would rather die than have that happen. And in those cases, like, okay, I'll go for a walk, or I will sweep, or I will um, come and listen to a meeting. This is my easiest form of meditation. I just come and I listen to you. And when I'm in a group of people, my mind shuts up some. And so this is my first and favorite form of meditation, being with you guys and letting your, your voices replace the insane ones in my head. Um, I read. Uh, you know, it, it kind of changes. Like now, for whatever reason, my ritual is that every morning I wake up and I do some writing. I do a chunk of writing about nothing or something or anything, whatever. Um, and, and morning, let's, let's be clear. The term morning is used very loosely here. <laughs> um, and then I will, you know, I'll usually, like, uh, I open, now I'm, I'm working on another fourth step. I've worked all 12 steps, and I continue to work them until the day I fall into my grave. And uh, now I'm working another, I'm working a fear inventory of a fourth step, and then I'll finish a chunk, and I call up my sponsor, and then we get together and we do a fifth step. So that's something that I, I'm doing on an ongoing basis right now. Um, so I'm always working steps. Right at this moment, I have willingness to do that uh, five days out of seven. I do it weekdays unless I'm out of town or something like that, and then sometimes I don't do it. Um, when I travel, I bring my little uh, 12 and 12 and my little big book with me. Sometimes I read them if I feel the need. Sometimes I don't, but I know they're there. Um, my early recovery, a lot of spiritual practice took place in bathrooms, especially when I was around my parents. Um, when I visit them, it was like, I want to kill someone now. I'm going to go to the bathroom and just start praying. And so I would just repeat any 12-step prayer over and over and over, serenity prayer over and over and over a thousand freaking times until I could come out and be a kinder human being, a better human being, you know, not perfectly. Um, and I get to make amends for the times when I don't do it perfectly. So it's kind of a little bit of all of those. I, I sometimes check out other spiritual things outside of this program because the big book instructs me to do so. But it's not, you know, I won't talk about it here because it doesn't matter what I'm, it, I just have to seek. My only job is to seek. And um, sometimes my spiritual life is a whole lot of cursing. Like a whole lot of cursing. Like every foul word ever created on this planet hurled at whatever 
blah, 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 made this blah, 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 up universe that's so blah, 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 that made my life a blah, 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 like a lot of cursing, a lot of, so my spiritual life consists of a lot of cursing. Um, and it works, you know, it's like I got to just keep that channel open and, and I've learned my higher power, like, thinks it funny if I curse a lot. So it's like, whatever, I get to do whatever works for me. I get to change the form of my higher power uh, as I please and as makes sense to me. Um, it can be a, a single thing in a humanish body. It can be a universe thing. It can be an energy. It can be, um, you know, a certain gender person or the other gender person. It can be a bunch of things. So it just depends. Thanks. That's my time. Thank you.